it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, so we have Brandon Dennis on from stratosphereinvesting.com. You may remember Brandon. I've had, he's basically our Canada stocks expert. So I've had him on the show before. We, we had a good discussion about Fang stocks and some of the valuations that he was seeing with Canadian stocks at the time. We also had some listener questions about Canadian stocks that he was gracious enough to answer. And we shared some of those on the podcast as well. And now, you know, we're trying to A, make this episode as something where it can be a complete starting guy for some of the, someone who's in Canada looking to invest in Canadian stocks, uh, looking to invest in the Canadian market, and B for those listeners who aren't Canadian, uh, we're going to dig in maybe at the end if we have time. Uh, I definitely want to dig into at least a couple of Brandon's buy and sell rules when it comes to buying stocks. I think there's some good discussion in there, and a lot of it aligns with uh, a lot of the things that I like to teach. And the things that I think people should look for when they're buying stocks. So that can definitely give insight for people kind of seeing different ways that maybe people approach stocks and how it can be similar and how it can be different. So Bryn, uh, thanks for coming on today. Hey, Andrew. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, it's been uh, quite quite a ride since you know I started investing and reached out to you several years back now. And uh yeah, no, I do feel like things have come so far and I'm going to continue to learn and continue to grow. And um, at the end of the day, that's the best thing you can do. And and uh, yeah, no, I'm happy to help Canadians. I think they're a bit underserved overall. Like there's lots of information online for American investors. And at the end of the day, Canadians pay some of the highest management fees in the entire world. And uh, that's a real shame because we don't have a whole lot of options. So I've kind of created a you know, a two-step process where if you are a complete beginner, the first thing you need to do is get out of paying for extremely expensive active management and go to an indexed approach um, founded by Don Bogle, who he died yesterday, didn't he? Yes, he did. Which is, which is really, really sad. Um, so he's the founder of, uh, he's the kind of the father of index investing. And 
for most people, this is this is something as a Canadian, most Canadians should be doing instead of any any other type of strategy, because one, we pay the highest fees, and two, this is the easiest way for us to own international funds. So, at the end of the day, Canadians are very very heavily concentrated in Canadian home bias, and there's lots of articles that you can read on this. And statistically, I know, unfortunately, our market has un- underperformed the American S&P um, for maybe a variety of reasons. But it would be silly to not be exposed to international and especially the U.S. economy. So this is a quick win for anyone to quickly grab international exposure for fees that are, you know, almost free with BlackRock and Vanguard continuing to duel it out. Now, the other kind of prong to that is if you are already doing that, you want to you know, have a rules-based strategy of selecting businesses that you can outperform the market with that kind of combine a strategy that I use, which uses value, growth, and dividend income altogether. And I know, Andrew, you're big on this too. People tend to put themselves in an investing bucket. Um, I like to combine all three, and that's where I find the most success. Yeah, 100%. And you know, Buffett says himself... He doesn't think that there's value investing without growth. And if you look at the kind of stocks he buys, it's almost exclusively dividend stocks. So I think he's kind of quietly in that camp as well. Before we get um, too deep into that, try to give us some context. Because you know, we, we hear fees and, and somebody who's a beginner, they might see fees and, and they might see something like uh, a percent or two. And that might not sound like a big deal, but when we're talking about retirements, how can, you know, what's, what's, what's the, the big picture here on fees and, and why they could be so destructive to your returns? Absolutely. Yeah. This is, this is a topic I harp on so much because the average mutual fund in Canada costs investors 323654 dollars and 50 cents over their lifetime of investing with a a big study that was performed. So I looked at that and and compared it to index funds which I teach in a course called how to start investing with $1000. Um and I found that over a life over a lifetime of investing in the market, you know, at 10% compounding your wealth, you can be looking at around 1.5 million dollars in wealth that you accumulate by retirement only by maxing out what is called the TFSA contribution limit, which I believe is like the similarity to a Roth IRA in the States. Um, and that's just maxing that out at uh, $6,000 a year compared to a mutual fund where you'd be at $567,000. So that's a difference of a million dollars pretty much. And only because of that 2.5% fee on the top. So it's amazing how much those fees can add up over a period of time um, and how much that can affect your compounding. That's incredible. Uh, you know, you think about retirement, hopefully by the time we hit 45, 55, 65, we've accumulated a decent amount. You know, you, you start talking about dollar amounts that are in the hundreds of thousands, two hundreds of thousands. Uh, you're talking about you know, thousands of dollars a year. And then when you factor in compound interest and how much you're losing and how much potential gain that these stocks and investments can make for you, 
it, it, it's it's a huge deal and that's that's crazy i'm glad you gave us some numbers there uh wow yeah and so, that, that's that's only maxing out your tfsa contribution limit there's other you know non-taxable accounts that you can put in for retirement and even in a taxable account um i hope to be investing more than just that limit every year i think it's the first account that people should go to if they're a beginner as a tfsa because you're going to get completely tax-free gains um, there's no, not when you withdraw it, there's literally no tax on the account at all. So if you, if you put that into, you know, now you're investing maybe $10,000 a year, which I think is reasonable for a lot of people two income families who are, you know, reasonably saving some money. You know, we, now we can look at those numbers and just basically double that. And with compound, maybe triple it. So it can really, really add up. Okay. So TFSA, you're taking, um, after post tax, right? So you like your income from your jobs already been taxed, and then you're saying the rest of it grows tax free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you're gonna pay in, you're gonna pay income tax, um, and then you're gonna completely everything else is tax free. So what's so, here in here in the states? The the big account that most people have and that they are aware of is the four hundred one k. Right. Uh, at, at your job. Is there something similar to that in Canada? Yeah. So that's uh, your 401k is our RRSP, which is a registered retirement savings plan. And that is kind of the go-to. However, our the new one is the TFSA that got introduced. And I'm just a big fan of it because I wrote a blog on, I wrote a yeah an article on my blog the other day about how you can have way too much money in your RRSP where when you're withdrawing on it, all of a sudden, they they basically, when you turn 72, they make you withdraw 5% of it, and it goes up to 20% of it every year, basically by the time you hit 85 or 90, I forget what the number is. And in your retirement, you're going to be withdrawing on this money, <laughs> and you're going to be withdrawing on it so much that to do the things you want to do that you're going to be in the higher tax bracket anyways. So I don't really see uh, the huge benefit of it other than you can defer tax um, while you're working. That's the huge benefit. And if it really comes down to a math calculation. But if you're someone that's going to be receiving a pension, if you have a, a passive income business, um, if you're going to be receiving income of any kind kind of later in life, then you're going to throw yourself in a higher tax bracket anyways, and it might not have been worth it. Compared do to employers, a employers taxable match, account or TFSA. Sorry, uh, do your employers match for the? Um, I can't remember the acronym. Yeah, yeah, the RSP. So they do match, and that's another. That's another uh, way. You know, if your company doesn't pay a uh, pension, typically, then they'll do a matching program. However, the problem is, is that many times the matching program will be through. You know, one of the big banks, like typical Royal Bank of Canada, are the biggest company publicly traded in, on the Toronto Stock Exchange. They'll manage your money in a two and a half percent mutual fund, um, and you don't really have a whole lot of flexibility on what you want to do. So, if people want to manage it on their own, they want to open up in a discount brokerage service. They're kind of hooped in many cases um, if they want to do that. So. It's not it's not a simple solution when it comes to matching. I mean, at the time, it's free money, and, you, and it really comes down to doing the math on what's worth it. 
Um, and my, my basic thesis on it is if you're young, that it's better to just compound at a quicker rate now. But that's yeah, just so my two cents. How comfortable you are with, because essentially the TFSA, you can pick individual stocks and you're yep. saying the, the other one is restricted. So it, it's like a almost exact mirroring of the 401ks here and the Roth IRAs. If so I'm I was right about the Roth IRA then, right? Yes. Yeah, you were. Okay. Okay, good. And the contribution yeah, limits are about the same. Are you talking about like Canadian dollars when you when you say yeah. dollars? Okay. Yeah, Canadian dollars. That's right. And it, it, you can buy uh, the the other benefit is of the RRSP is there's an agreement between the states and Canada that you can uh, avoid withholding tax if you want to hold U.S. stocks in your RRSP, whereas you're going to pay a separate withholding tax if you own U.S. listed companies bought and sold in US dollars uh, in your TFSA, you can run into some tax issues. Um, so that is something notable to to add is if you're going to hold individual securities bought and sold in US dollars on a US exchange, then it is recommended to use your RRSP, which is the equivalent of your 401k. Okay. Because the US government doesn't recognize a TFSA as a retirement account. So, I mean, if people think, you know, obviously you're talking about the tax brackets, another downside to being forced to liquidate positions is if you follow a lot of the things that I like to preach when we talk about dividend investing, dividend reinvesting, and having these stocks that you buy once and they give you an income that increases every single year for decades, uh, when you have to sell it because you're forced to liquidate positions, now you're looking at a situation where this great investment you made 20 years ago that is paying you more in income than you paid, you know, now you're going to have to take that money, sell it and try to find a new income stream and that's not going to be nearly as much, you know, you got basically start over and, and find yourself a little 3 or 4% yield uh, right. instead of being yeah. able to keep a stock that you had for a long time. Yeah, because you know, for instance, I'll give an example of a financial company that I do own. I've only owned it for three years and it's been a great, great, great growth story. And my yield on cost is around 13, 14% because wow. they've grown the dividend like insanely. Um, and they're still only at a healthy payout ratio of 40%. So this business is obviously doing really well um, and able to grow that dividend insanely. And I, I, I kind of brings me back to, the payout ratio. I know me and you talk about this this ratio all the time. I think it's like the one of the more overlooked, not discussed uh, metric when it comes to dividend investing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of touched briefly on it, but you have basically earnings coming in, and the more earnings that a company can pay to you, whether that's you know uh, special dividend or regular dividend. If they can increase their earnings every year, and even if they maintain the same payout ratio, now you're looking at a situation where your income's increasing every year. And like you said, uh, yield on cost, 13%. It didn't start out that way. I'm sure when you bought the stock, it was probably at three, around 3%, maybe even 2 or 1%. Yeah. You let it grow over time, and if they're able to really have a business that's just throwing out cash flow, they're going to throw it back to investors too. And, you know. 
to wait three years and get 13% on your money and you just don't even have to do anything. That's, that's a pretty great deal. Yeah, exactly. I think it was trading with a yield of probably two and a half to 3% at the time and still has that, that same yield. So you can see how much the, you know, the share price is appreciated as well. So, I mean, this is the, these are the kind of stocks that I look for when it, when it comes to screening for dividend growth and revenue growth. Those are my, my two main uh, factors in growth score. I, I, I use something that's called the SI score for my premium subscribers. And it really heavily weights on dividend growth and, and revenue growth. Because as you know, earnings can be a little bit tricky. They move up and down if it's a business that relies on a lot of macroeconomic factors and their earnings can kind of fluctuate, but you can kind of see through that, see through the smoke by just looking at their top line revenue. That's where all the cash that is going to be entering the business originates and is obviously the foundation of their business. And if, if that's starting to contract, then I'm a little bit worried and I'm going to sit on the sidelines until they can figure out their top line revenue. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yeah, it all starts at the top line. I like that a lot. That was one of the the big 
um, selling points for for revenue and, and revenue growth and price to sales is this idea that it's a lot more predictable, a lot more reliable, and it's a lot smoother than earnings, uh, just as you said. I noticed you don't look at price to book at all. At least I didn't see it in your buy rules. Um, is there a reason for that? And uh, maybe we can discuss about price to book a little bit. Yeah, I, I do. I do look at price to book, um, but the the reason I don't factor it into my SI score is a variety of reasons, and I, I really don't like being one of those people in, in who put themselves in a camp of a ten year bull market and say you can't value businesses like like you used to, <laughs> because I really don't like that that train of thought because it brings you into a dangerous area, especially when uh, new hype stocks come into play trading at you know, 250 times sales like we had here in the cannabis mania here in Canada, trading at 250 times sales is just the norm all of a sudden. So I really don't want to be the person that says, oh, you can't value businesses like that anymore. But when it comes to price to book, you get a lot of companies nowadays that are so profitable that don't have the same assets of traditional businesses. Um, and that really comes down to um, a company that makes and develops enterprise management software, uh, like a company like Open Text here in Canada. They're uh, about $10 billion in market cap. And a company that I I, uh, I recently re-entered because, I mean, it, they're just doing amazing. They're not going to have the same kind of book, the same kind of equity as a GM would who owns you know, 46 manufacturing plants in Detroit. Uh, don't quote me on that number. So <laughs> the, <laughs> these are the kinds of different businesses that I put through one general screen. And it's, I find price to book is a, a very, very powerful metric and something I use very often, but I don't use it across different industries and kind of paint a, a broad screen into the market and use it. Um, effectively like you can with a price to sales or a price to earnings. Well, one of the big um, attractive features of price to book is the exact same thing as price to sales. It's like I mentioned with the Walter Schloss episode um, just the other day, we we're talking about the super investors, you know, Walter Schloss like to look at assets because they're a lot more st- steady and they're a lot more predictable and they don't move and fluctuate like earnings. So if you're at least, you know, you're ta- you're looking at businesses that create a lot of earnings and a lot of profits and you're looking for that low PE ratio, but you're also kind of hedging it by looking at price to sales. And you can do that with price to book or you can do it with price to sales, you can do it with a combo. And it's a great point about these businesses that have different types of assets. You really have certain businesses in certain industries, and it's it's really a capital intensive thing. Some businesses just don't cost as much capital. You don't, you know, uh, you buy an airline stock, and they have to build and manufacture these very expensive airplanes. Uh, you don't see that with another, like a computer company. Uh, another kind of factor into that is uh, a company's brand. Like you think about like our Hershey's, uh, they don't need much money and their brand is is so valuable people will buy Hershey's just because they like that type of chocolate and so they're able to keep costs low they don't need to carry as many assets on their balance sheet so it's it's definitely a good idea in the sense that 
uh, there can be a lot of value and a lot of stocks that traditional, you know, quote unquote, traditional value investors aren't looking for. And, you know, by far you're, you're looking for intrinsic value. You're looking for stocks that are trading at a discount to their intrinsic value. And, you know, you can find that in a myriad of ways and no two investors are going to have the exact same approach. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, looking I at, I'm looking at a couple of your other buy rules. The obviously recognizable qualitative moat. I like that a lot. And that's something that I've been putting more emphasis on uh, more so lately. And I'm assuming that you can't put this in the SI indicator because it's qualitative, obviously. Yeah, I'm assuming exactly. you're looking at stocks that all have good SI scores and then you're considering the qualitative when you want to kind of make a decision. Yeah, that's right. So what I'll do is I'll screen, I'll screen for a whole bunch and then I'll rank them, but it's not going to be as simple as the one that scores the highest is going to be the number one pick. I wish it were that easy, but investing is more of an art. And um, really what it comes down to is all these buy and sell rules are very, very important to not make mistakes. I think that's the most important part. Making mistakes and in investing is so um, so critical because it you can lose way hard, way more than you can win based on the simple strat- the simple thing of um, if you lose ten percent, you have to gain eleven, and if you lose thirty, you have to gain a hundred um, based on how that math works. And that's what these rules are: is to really prevent mistakes happening. So when that SI score comes through that my premium subscribers get, um, it really comes down to a list of what I call my investable universe. So once I have that to a score, you know, companies that have great, strong fundamentals, and I'll have a list of 20 or 30 of them, then it really comes down to that qualitative analysis. And really when it comes down to that buy rule of buying companies with an obviously recognizable qualitative moat, Really what that means is I have to be able to say in one sentence why they have that. And for most companies, you can quickly in your brain know what it is. I I don't think uh, many companies have to really even explain themselves. When it comes to a brand that's really, really strong, um, that just becomes very obvious and you can quickly quickly say what their moat is in one sentence. And if you have a tough time struggling to define what that is in one sentence or in a few words, then you might have to rethink your analysis. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. A uh, question maybe for me, like more like a selfish question. And by the way, yeah. I do the exact same thing too. Like I'm not looking, I'm looking at VTIs. I'm not just picking the lowest one. Yeah, I'm exactly. about, you know, let's think what's the future, uh, what's the industry look like? Nobody can tell the future, but how are things moving? How do you see uh, either consumer demand or the way kind of the big takeaway I've thought of lately that makes it really simple for me? is kind of crafting the way I'm, I'm moving towards now is, is this industry and the product or whatever the service is, is it a commodity or is it, can't remember what the other word is, but either commodity or not commodity. Cause if it's a commodity, then you're basically 
having a race to the bottom where right. every, it's, it's, it's like an Amazon where everybody's slashing prices until they can't slash anymore and companies go out of business. Or is it something where there's a premium and that qualitative moat can be a superior product or some sort of premium on the price that justifies why it costs more than uh, just simple cost. And it's not subject to the kind of supply and demand that that tends to come with, with any product or market. So I think that can be something, maybe an easy question. I like the idea of just asking yourself, what's, what's the simple sentence that, that really lets me know that I'm going to go for this. So the question I have for you, um, have you ever, or do you ever think like my sentence is actually the financials for this business are just so much better than its competitors? Cause I, you know, I, I, I ponder this sometimes and I think, can you do that? Yes, and combining with maybe market share. I don't know, like an idea, right? Yeah, definitely. So when it comes down to looking at those numbers and maybe you know how they've grown their top line compared to their competitor, I try to look for maybe why that's happening. Um, Whether it's management's just executing much better, or um, they're doing something that the other one's not. You just have to kind of ask those questions that I'm always kind of asking myself in my head um, before I make any sort of decision is why that might be happening. And sometimes it's really easy to know and sometimes it's not so easy to know. And that's what kind of makes, you know, investing challenging and investing fun is it's not always black and white and it's not always easy. But uh, at the end of the day, um, you can do the right thing enough over a long period of time to win. And I think really what's what's come down to is I've been obviously studying Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger since I started investing, um, like most people should. And Charlie Munger was the one that really changed Buffett from being a deep value investor to buying in businesses that he would hold forever and really have high quality businesses in their portfolio that Brookshire Hathaway has, you know, compounded wealth like no one else ever has um, with that kind of formula of of combining all these qualitative good fundamentals and then also recognizing what that moat is. And then you kind of come up with a selection of businesses that you think you can win with an, uh, over a long period of time. And if you do that enough, um, you're not going to go completely s- without mistakes along the way, but if you you know swing at enough good pitches, you're going to hit a home run at least at least once. Yeah, and that income could be enough to really sustain you and give you enough wealth to make you hopefully happy. I'll I'll guess I'll kind of detour like I like to do and just do a sidebar. So I've had the same kind of thought process too. I've as an example, like I I was just doing this the other day with a dividend fortress I had. So it's like if you have two businesses that are very similar in size and maybe one has half the debt to equity that the other one has, while they're the same size, they have about the same market share, they're kind of even competitors, I would say that balance sheet strength maybe isn't enough to be like a a moat that's qualitative. Obviously, from a VTI or SI standpoint, it would be. But if you have another situation where it's the same thing except one 
business is like three times bigger than the other, then I think that strong balance sheet and that that strong kind of cash balance or whatever makes up the asset side of the of the balance sheet really becomes its own competitive advantage just just from sheer size. So I'll steer us back. Um, we talked a lot about kind of what you look for when you're trying to buy a stock. Is there anything that kind of throws up a red flag in your opinion where you're maybe you look at a stock and it, and it looks really attractive, but then you see this one thing and, and, and you put up, you, you put on the brakes and, and it makes you not want to buy it now. Yeah, definitely. There's a couple red flags when you look at a long-term income statement right away, you'll see huge fluctuations in earnings. Anytime there's negative earnings, if the dividend has doesn't have you know a predictable kind of nice to look at story that gives me a little bit of concern if i've seen that the payout ratio has ever exceeded 100% um if they've obviously cut a dividend had periods of declining revenues because their business might be based on macroeconomic factors like commodity prices or their earnings are very uh, fluctuating based on you know fuel that they require that fluctuates a lot or some type of fertilizer that they need um these are the kinds of things that i just simply avoid i mean the best thing about investing is you don't have to no one's holding a gun to your head saying you have to buy company a or company b even though everyone else might be saying it's the right thing to do um the best thing is is you don't have to so I just avoid those companies that don't, you know, look like a a story that looks like a high quality business or depends on macroeconomic factors that I can't control. My biggest thing in investing is to just focus on the things that I can control. And then with that comes companies where their future is in their control and not based on um, things that they really can't control like the price of oil or whatever it may be a commodity that's very important in their injection molding process that is bakes up their entire top line stuff like that i mean you can kind of see what's happening in a 10-year income statement you'd be able to kind of come up with a story and and really highlight those red flags but to answer your question simply a uh, high payout ratio and fluctuating or negative earnings that's uh that's pretty much a easy easy move on moment for me you mean i mean you knew you use netflix right so how could you not buy the stock (laughs) oh you know what hold on i gotta go hop on my brokerage account and buy some netflix because (laughs) i gotta watch that before i go to bed there's no question that's a company (laughs) that's a company with a with a moat that i think is actually you know declining a little bit with so much competition coming in but uh yeah that's you know there you go it's 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 a company that doesn't fit the story i'm looking for um and and if it's been really really good to shareholders um and the the best thing you can do is not beat yourself up for going oh i knew that you know joe down the street told me he knows everything about stock picking and i should have bought netflix i'm okay to not I'm okay to lose out on that one, you know. It's the it's the only thing you can do. Yeah, just like you said, gun to your head. It's not like it's not like us and everybody listening. We probably don't contribute that much to their bottom line anyway. They don't even have a bottom line, so <laughs> yeah, their bottom line. That. 
Their bottom Are line just goes to fuel, you know, hundreds of stuff. They're they're putting out so much content. It's uh it's where does that end for me is is the question I can't really figure out where where all of a sudden, you know, they're not putting in all this money for new content because as soon as they do that, I see them, I see them as dead. So uh, yeah, it just doesn't fit the story for me. So that's a good example. Yeah, and I agree. Like the competitors that they're attracting are huge. It's not like just a regular com- competition that you would get in any industry. You're talking about mammoth giants coming into your space. That's that's quite scary. Yeah, like Disney and Amazon are. Not uh, not two companies I'd want to compete with. I mean, they've obviously executed on almost every segment of their business since the dawn of time. So, who's to say that they're not going to, you know, just steamroll you in this space too? So, you have your premium product. Um, looking at the page right now, you have the buy and sell rules. Uh, you got buy rules, avoid rules, and sell rules. So we're not going to go through all of those. You also have a spreadsheet that you give to subscribers where it ranks uh, some of the top stocks with the best SI scores. I think that's really cool. I love how you put dividend income here and you're tracking how much dividend income you're receiving every month with your real money portfolio that you got. Um, Yeah, so... All this stats is from the inception of when portfolio started three years ago. I've only actually, you know, started premium as a, as a product just launching this past January. So this is good timing. If if someone was to start, they'd be here at the ground level. But it's it's nice to quantify to people. Hey, despite what's happening in the market, this this money that you see here in dividend income, no one can take that away from you. That's what you've received, and and really kind of puts the proof in the pudding. I like too how you um, you have international exposure and you have some ETFs that you recommend in addition to your individual stocks. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, as I explained before, it would be even if I was the best stock picker in the in all of Canada, it would be unwise to not own some of that international exposure bought and sold in Canadian dollars because of that Canadian home bias. So 30% of the portfolio owns U.S. international and emerging market stocks with the most concentration being on U.S. stocks. And then the rest of the portfolio, 70% of the portfolio is individual stocks bought and sold on the Toronto Stock Exchange in Canadian dollars. So there's really no uh, no conversion of, of currencies at all in the portfolio stays all in Canadian dollars, which keeps it a little, a little easier for Canadians. Um, and yeah, no, I know, I, I think it'd be silly to not um, own the rest of the world and not own the U.S. economy would be unwise. Yeah, that's, that's good. Good to have exposure. I can't, can't really argue against that. One of the sell rules and you don't have to share if you don't want to. I don't know if it's like premium content, but you said, uh, the sell rules aren't, uh, aren't too exclusive. No, yeah, yeah, but the you said uh, if companies have exceeded determined upper limits of valuation multiples, can you explain what that means? Yeah, so I was thinking about writing, you know, what each one is, but in the actual spreadsheet, there's a formatting. Uh, filter automated that if a certain 
if a certain uh, upper limit of valuation goes to something insane. So if I liked it at a, you know, an earnings multiple at a, of 11 and I'm buying it because the market hates it and it used to be trading at, you know, 24 or whatever it may be, you know, similar to an Apple story in the last month or two where it went down to, it's been down to 11 times earnings now. If it went back up to 25 and it's something that I, I think is expensive all of a sudden, I'm okay to lock in profits. I still may think it's a good good company. Um, and I plan on owning only companies that you know are high quality. And this would be a case where, yeah, it's the, the stock I bought was super cheap and the market didn't like it. And now the market kind of corrected itself. It's reversioning back to the mean and uh, is trading at a high earnings multiple again. And it's something that I might be interested in selling um, and locking in profits. So it really comes down to, I have upper bound limits on all the valuation multiples where it'll trigger not necessarily a sell, but it'll trigger a, a decision to be made if it, if it will leave the portfolio. But to give you some concept here, I mean, there's many stocks owned in the portfolio and I've only closed five positions since inception three years ago. So that's super low turnover and all of them have been locked in at a gain. That's fantastic. So I can't get you to commit to a number for the valuation. Uh, it is tricky because I will own a business trading at 26 times earnings when I buy it. I don't kind of put myself in a bubble, but what I do do is the screen that you see there for where you, where you get the SI score, it won't even include companies trading at a PE of over 50. Um, so I guess if it really exceeds my screener, then it's going to be definitely up for a, a sell candidate. Yeah, sell candidate. I know. I, I'm just putting the gun to your head. I'll be watching <laughs> this closely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? It, it, it really comes down to if it exceeds what I would even screen to be in part of the investable universe. Then, right. then I'll start thinking about it. I'll give you a, I'll give you a real life example. So I mentioned Open Text Corp is a is a tech company here in Canada, around ten billion in market cap. I think around twelve billion now. They I bought them at a you know quite expensive because they trade expensively, and one day they went up sixteen percent on good earnings, and I locked in profits that day. Um, three months later. They executed another amazing quarter, but the stock was back down to what I bought it at. And I re-entered the position. So I really n- almost never trade. Um, but this is one that I, I did trade because it kind of met those buy and sell um, rules that we've talked about. And I mean, it's been very profitable for me. So It's a good answer. Uh, I don't I don't have a set number two. I was just trying to see if, if you would have one other than <laughs> no, you know it's, it's hard to have, have a, yeah yeah you have other things that you're you're black and white on like cut dividend payouts uh yeah. declining top line revenues so I, i'm very similar but that was something i thought we could have some fun on yeah <clears throat> all right so i think people if they're if they're canadian investors and they're looking to buy canadian stocks i think they would be foolish not to check out what you're doing, what you got going on, whether that means um, you're an absolute beginner and you need help getting everything set up and, and you want to look into the course we were talking about earlier, or if, if you're looking into 
buying stocks, getting stock ideas, um, having a checklist like you have here, um, and mark, market commentary, a real-life money portfolio to follow along and, and track those dividends, and, and kind of have just somebody on your team and, and somebody you can follow along. So where can people go, whether, whether they're in that first camp or that second camp, uh, if they're interested in learning more? Yeah, for sure. If you're listening to this podcast, you can go on cadinvesting.com and that'll bring you to a kind of a easy to follow along pathway on where you are. Um, asking you a few questions based on what you know, um, if you are currently owning a, a portfolio or not, that'll be very obvious on which kind of path to go down. And that's going to bring you either to a premium portfolio subscription that we've talked about or uh, a course. And this course really is, it's $63 and I, I provide a $50 quest trade um, commission rebate as soon as you sign up with me. And really what that will do is it'll take you from knowing nothing, having nothing in the market to having an indexed portfolio that we started this this episode talking about. So um, really when it comes down to, that's a great place to start. Um, and maybe down the road, if you want to start learning how to value individual businesses and try to, you know, have some outperformance in your portfolio, then you can check out premium. And that's kind of the flow of how things work here. And also you can get the first uh, two modules for free. If you go on the course there and just check preview, you can just check what it's all about, see if the style of learning fits your, um, fits your needs. Um, and then if you, you, you can choose to decide to go through with it, or not, no problem. I blog and have uh, and a free newsletter as well if you enter in your email where I write content on a fairly regular basis about things you need to start thinking about, the kind of psychology you want to have. The mindset in the market is the, probably the most actionable thing I can, I can provide you in, in some words, I think. That's awesome. And again, for people, it's CAD investing, CAD investing, like the Canadian dollar. And definitely a great place to go to. So, Brayden, this was excellent. We covered a ton of stuff. Um, anybody who's a Canadian investor, they listen to this episode, they are locked and loaded, ready to go. And a $50 trade credit. That's really cool. I mean, you're basically almost getting the course for free, and now you have money to already get started right away. So I like that a lot. Thanks for coming on. Hopefully the background noise is kind of chaotic where I'm recording today. Hopefully the background noise wasn't too distracting and um, really appreciate the time that you spent with us. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. And, and it's been fun to kind of come on the show every once in a while and, and almost track my own progress as well, because, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is try to stay is staying stagnant when you're learning anything and you want to just continue to get better and better and as soon as you think you know everything, that's that's usually dangerous. So you want to continue to learn. Um, and maybe next time when I come on the show, we'll see where I'm at there. But uh, <laughs> I'm happy to, <laughs> happy, happy, to, happy to help where I am now and, uh, and continue to learn and to continue to grow and help as many people as I can along the way. So thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Uh, we'll check in. Remind me to, to ask you about any stocks that you sold at an upper valuation multiple. <laughs> Yeah. So, was there a number? No. <laughs> I'll be like, yep, it's uh, 52.3. <laughs> you know, I love oh, my numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. We're both engineers. So, maybe yeah. 
that's why I think we both have a similar philosophy in how we look at stocks and look at finance in general. Definitely. Well, always fun to talk to you, Braden, uh, on mic or off air. So take care. We'll talk to you next time. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.